This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart. But we didn't stop there. We combined soft and bouncy to bring you new Sweet Tarts Gummies Fruity Splits. A uniquely delicious dual-sided gummy with one side that's sweet and one side that's tart but entirely smooth and squishy. Mmm, a powerfully perfect combo. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. I'm Orlando and we're here today to talk about exciting ingredients, cooking techniques and general kitchen chat. Plus, we have an original Tom Kerridge recipe for you to try out at home, whether you're a beginner or a budding chef. Welcome back to the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge, Rosie Burkett and me, Orlando Murrin. Today, we're going to be talking about British cheeses. Tom, if I can start with you, what do you use for cheese on toast? Assuming, of course, that you like cheese on toast as much as everyone else in the whole world does. Who doesn't like (laughs) cheese on toast? I mean, that has to be the daftest question ever. I, I mean, cheese on toast is the greatest thing. I mean... To be honest, the stronger, the more mature, the most amazing cheddar you can get. I absolutely love it. I mean, if you're going to go like real posh, you grate cheddar and then you put grate in some a gooey cheese as well to the mix and put it on. And I can go all out right. But normally it would be a piece of toast with some sliced cheddar on, stick it under the grill. But you've got to cook it. See, I cook. I don't do it on a real high heat. I'll drop the grill to a lower one underneath it and, and slowly melt the cheese so the toast doesn't burn. So the cheese has plenty of time to caramelize and get those lovely crispy when it goes from a nice darker orange all around the outside that's what i look for so slow cooking cheese for cheese on toast is amazing with a little bit of worcester sauce and strong cheddar um do you toast one side of the bread first or both sides both sides so it's crispy so both sides of bread so it's crispy rosie's in agreement i i'm in agreement with almost everything you've said apart from the toasting of both sides no mate you have a soggy bit this is just my childhood, and it was probably the first thing that I learned to cook, that I cooked for myself and my sister, and I, I remember always toasting one side, and the bread was, you know, quite sort of 
below average white sliced bread, yeah. toast one side under the grill, then turn it over, take it out from under the grill, cover it in cheddar, Worcester sauce under the grill, and then until caramelizing. So until... you put the cheese on the uncooked side. Yeah. And what? I think it's so that it sort of seeps in slightly. Yeah. Um, and I, I get th- it. Yeah. I think that's a bit gummy. I have to say, I, I like the double toasting myself. And then you put the Worcester sauce on before you grill it, do you? I think we did. Yeah, we used to put the Worcester sauce on and then maybe a bit more, definitely before you grill it so that it um, seeps into the cheese and it creates these kind of little brown bubbling marks. Yeah, Worcester sauce goes on before you grill. So it kind of, it cooks into the cheese. That's yeah. definite. And then uh, afterwards, crack black pepper. So it's it's big, punchy, spicy flavors. Strong cheddar, Worcester sauce, crap black pepper. That's what you want. <laughs> and just to check again, you slice the cheddar or you grate it? You mentioned the grating word. Well, you could go super posh and you could grate it and do a mix of cheeses if you wanted to. But like standard, well, I would slice the cheddar. Yeah, because if you grate it, if you've got really fine cheddar with those little kind of crunchy morsels of saltiness in yeah, it, yeah. the the grating kind of disturbs that 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 texture a bit. It does. Doesn't I'd it? only grate it if you were mixing up the cheeses. If so, you could mix the two cheeses right. together and yeah. then put it on. So you get that that kind of like lovely salty big kick from a from a lovely <laughs> cheddar and something a bit gooey and unctuous. Something I don't know, maybe like a good Gruyere or something like that that mm. melts really nicely. Those two together would work really lovely. We're all getting rather hungry and we will be eating in a moment and we've got a, a wonderful recipe coming up which is um, actually based on cheese on toast so that's something to look forward to and we've got like wonderful aromas floating yeah. around the studio while we're here but we have mentioned cheddar and yeah. is is cheddar really the English cheese, the, the British, the great British cheese? Oh, it is for me. I mean, I'm from the West Country, not far from Cheddar Gorge. Where, like, I mean, it is amazing. I remember going there on school trips and things. Like, it's fantastic for me. It's it's kind of the ultimate. I think if you think of a cheese that should be exported and cheddar style cheeses that the world recognize recognizes, it's the one thing that we do really well. That's different to pretty much every other cheese in the in, in the rest of the world. Like, you know, Italian cheeses are fantastic. French cheeses are amazing. You know, there, there's so many great cheese makers out there around the world, but. And a British cheddar is something that's hugely recognised in that style of something that we do. I think it's amazing. Yes, and it seems to come in different types. Uh, I'm, I'm in Devon and there's a rather grassy one, which is absolutely marvellous. And then in Somerset, there's a much drier, chewier one, um, the Montgomery one, which is really famous. And these are all masters of their art, but they're quite different in character. Yeah, so it's aging process, how they're aged, what they've done, the milk, the style of the milk. It's seasonal as well. You know, so many people don't recognize or think that cheese is seasonal, but it's huge because obviously it depends on the, the milk that comes from the dairy cattle, that what the times of the year that they're out and when they're able to eat grass and when they're not and what's going. So it really does vary throughout the year. So, but yeah, cheddars for me are absolutely stunning. And like you say, the Montgomery one you mentioned there, I mean, there that's what a powerful big kick that cheese has got. It's fantastic. And the Keens cheddar as well is yeah. really really good and i think there's yeah. such a distinction to be drawn as well between really fantastic farmhouse artisan produced cheeses and obviously the the mass-produced industrialized cheeses that are made with big homogenous amounts of milk from all kinds of different cows and pasteurized and taken all of the character out of it Whereas, you know, we're talking about cheeses that, as you say, are expressive of where they're from, the the season, the climate, the weather, what the cows have been grazing on. And that is the amazing thing about cheese. And, and it's why it's kind of one of the real 
um, agricultural products that we should be so proud of in this country because the, it is so regional and there are so many different ones being made. But obviously that heritage of farmhouse cheeses has been in decline, you know, since the Second World War and since the industrialization of food. Um, and it's something that we all should be supporting and celebrating. Yeah, you can see why they manufacture enormous, you know, house-sized blocks of cheddar because people want, you know, a bit of cheddar and they're not that worried about it. But it's the artisan things which, because they've got the same name as cheddar and anyone can call anything cheddar. I could go out of this room and say that I'm cheddar, couldn't I? And it wouldn't be illegal. Whereas... <laughs> It wouldn't be illegal, but it'd be a bit odd. You, you could identify as cheddar if you like. But what I'm getting at here is that it's not a protected name, the way that Stilton have slapped a, a protection on their name and other... And, of course, in France, where all the, the names of the cheeses are protected with barbed wire and radiation. If but you, cheddar has become a style rather than recognised yeah, in that area. Yeah. Where it's, it, like it's, that's why, I think, it, you know, so you can get cheddar-style cheeses from, from all over. I mean, like Rosie mentioned Keynes that's from you know that's up in Lancashire way you know is it, and that's right uh, it? Somerset Somerset all right well what's the one in Lancashire well that's the Lancashire cheese uh, is that the Graham Kirkham one yes yeah Kirkham. so that yeah. is called a Lancashire cheese and it is the last remaining cheese in Lancashire cheese in the world the last remaining Lancashire made with cheese. raw milk right yeah okay. so not pasteurized no yeah and that bigger is, flavors yeah huge flavors um and it's quite scary that it is it is the last one in the world and that's why it's become so well known um and yeah they're sort of dying out a lot of these cheeses we have a lot to thank neil's yard for absolutely they have been for 20 years championing the british cheese industry and really uh, going out there finding cheeses and encouraging cheesemakers and then bringing them to Neil's Yard, where you great restaurateurs, Tom. I imagine you you find out what's going on at Neil's Yard to to find out what the best cheeses are being yeah, made. Yeah, I mean Neil's Yard has they've been a, a source of um, uh, cheese knowledge, a fountain of cheese knowledge for for like say over twenty years now, and and they and they really do champion British British products, British cheeses, um, small scale producers and suppliers, and 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 like Rosie says, it's it is very sad that it. We move away from it, although it's, it's pretty much like everything that's in the food market. If you think everybody, it, those special things were always seen as special treats. Cheese was always seen as a treat, but now it's become so mad. Everybody just expects cheese, you know, you yeah. cheese in sandwich, cheese and lamb sandwich from the supermarket for a quick lunch. It's just it's not seen as special anymore. No. People are, it's the same as I don't know chicken, or it's the same as like I remember as a kid having roast chicken, and that was something special. Now yeah. chicken is just something that you just that whole production of stuff has got. But at the same point, what it does do i think is showcase how good small scale producers are how good that cheese is when you really do get to taste the difference between cheese that you're used to buying a sandwich from the supermarket for a quick lunch and then having something that's so special when you come across it you, like it blows your mind you go oh my, this cheese is like unbelievable yeah. unbelievably good so I, in some ways it, it is it's poor that we don't recognise it as being something so special anymore. But when you do come across them, you recognise how special they are. Absolutely. And I think it's about, as you say, seeing it as a treat and essentially remembering that it is an agricultural product and it's an animal product. So there's a huge story behind every single cheese. And we probably have got away from that idea through buying packets of 
you know, um, industrially produced cheddar in the supermarket. But really, we should be thinking, well, where's this coming from? How's it made? What's the story? And actually, there's a huge amount of time that's gone into rearing the animals, milking them, looking after them, feeding them and producing the cheese. And, And there's usually a very interesting story attached to the cheesemaker as well and finding out about those things. They're fascinating guys, the cheesemakers. When you get them together, they love a party. I went to a cheesemaker's party and it it went on all night. <laughs> I, I, left, I left them to it, frankly. Yeah. They're very, very jolly. But I think that's like anybody who's involved in food on that kind of artisan and small scale, uh, that people are, I mean, they're so passionate about what they do and they're very, it's the same as people who brew beer or or, or wines yeah. or or create a baker's or people who, they're, because they're so, their world is about this one product that it, it makes it so, ex, it's such an exciting little world to be in. And then yeah. us on the other side of it that try to meet all of the guys from all areas of those industries, it creates this wonderful eclectic mix of incredible producers. Maybe they're cooped up with their cheeses, 360 Four days a year, and then the day that they're let out, they, <laughs> yeah. they go insane with all their fellow. Was there lots makers. of wine involved? There was lots and lots of wine and beer <laughs> and cider, of course. Yeah, well, it, it goes yeah. so well yeah. with it. It goes so yeah. everyone just expects well, to think you think of cheese and wine, but actually, there's so this, the flavor, the flavor layers that you can get through trees are so complicated that you can they can mix with it can mix with so much. We so tried everything with, with everything. This was at Cadbury, Cadbury Court, which is where the Montgomery cheddar's made, and we had eight or nine cheeses each served with a different beer, cider or wine. And it was um, it was an unimaginably exciting experience and so different. Every cheese has and so much character. you remember it all? <laughs> <laughs> I took very careful notes, Tom. <laughs> but when you look around our countryside, if you couldn't have an aerial view of Britain, it, you, it screams out this is where beautiful cheese should be made, that, that lush farmland, every possible variety of different sorts of farmland soil rainfall it's uh it's what we ought to be doing but we but we seem to have a, the 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 real thing about british cheeses as i say is the hard cheeses and of course the stilton and we've never uh gone in for the huge range of soft cheeses that the french have and is is that a shame do you think that's something that we we should have done maybe copy the continental cheeses to there are some yeah there, there, there are few... some imitations aren't there like british some say Brie, for instance. Which yeah, and um, there's Baron Bigot, which is uh, made in Suffolk, I think, which it's is a Brie amazing. style. amazing. And it's so creamy and delicious. Is it's that another incredible. soft cheese like, like a, Brie or Camembert? Yes, it's a Brie yeah. style yeah. cheese. And, and it, then we can't forget Stinking Bishop either. I know it's slightly changed a bit. It's become pasteurised. When, but when, when I first came across it, it was an unpasteurised cheese that was just, I mean, it was phenomenal. A washed rind, oh. soft, gooey kind of cheese. It's v- similar-ish to a Poise, but yeah. not quite as I mean what a cheese that is absolutely amazing incredible cheese and it's called stinking bishop because that's the name of the variety of pear that the that made the perry that the rind was washed in. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm clever. It does stink and all though. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> now we had a question in from Instagram of how do you how are you meant to store these stinking cheeses? Because uh, I know that they're banned on French public transport. Some of the cheeses really? they are indeed. You're not allowed to take. Well, I don't know whether you'd be arrested or not. But you're. It, how are you supposed to a, get them around? Mm, I'm probably eat them on the spot. <laughs> eat them at the market. I don't know. But they do uh, permeate, shall we say, the fridge, don't they? 
made. Yeah. Any, any solutions for that or just enjoy with it, enjoy uh, and get on with it? I, I mean, I, I would keep them in, uh, I would keep them in another, like a plastic <laughs> con- sealed container. I thought you were going to say another fridge. <laughs> in another fridge. Yeah, well, yeah, have a, uh, ideally have a second fridge at home just for cheese. Do you yeah. have a cheese fridge? And not, not at home, but at work we do. Yeah, so actually in the restaurants we do have a cheese fridge because it, you know, one, because we got so much of it, but two, because it's like, it does, the smell is, it does permeate into everything else. But if you keep it in a, in a Tupperware box with a lid that seals it, it, you know, it's fine. But, you know, the trick is to actually not have it in there that long. Eat it. Yeah, yeah, get it eaten. There's also a British Parmesan, I think, made in uh, Sussex called Twynham Grange, which is um, f- for people who, uh, for whatever reason, don't want to eat real Parmesan. It's meant to be a completely acceptable substitute. But that's a different thing, copying foreign cheeses, isn't it? And we're, we really have enough to celebrate in the ones that, you know, we have, we've always made. Yeah, but I, I I get it because you know when you look when you look around at the cheeses of, of France in particular, I mean they're phenomenal. They've been cheese making for a, you know and making some of the world's best for years upon years upon years of brilliant blues, brilliant softs, fantastic washed rind, incredible goats. You know, they, they they do make amazing cheeses again because France is such a huge farmland with with amazing agriculture and an incredible and incredible pastures and fantastic weather systems. That change and, and and then you know it moves up into the Alps and you get things like Vacheron when that comes around I know that's not French but you know the idea of the whole that there's it's so varied so there's so many cheeses in France which are great and because they're so good there's nothing wrong with having a look at what they do and yeah. then using our milk that comes from a similar sort of areas and going well why can't I have a go at making the best brie or the best washed rind or the best on that, there is a um, there is an Italian man who has actually come to the UK specifically for that reason because um, he couldn't get a, a high enough quality of milk in Italy, which is really surprising because I think when we look at Italy, we always think they're so superior to us in terms of food and drink on every level. But he um, he came over. Uh, his name's Claudio De Luca, and he is making burrata. Um, in the UK and he's making it at Helen Browning's farm um, in Wiltshire and she's the CEO of the Soil Association and the reason he came to the UK was because he wanted this really beautiful organic milk from cows that have fed on a fantastic biodiverse pasture Um, and the fact that he came to the UK to use the milk here to make the burrata is saying quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is amazing. We're, we're very lucky on these shores. It's such a small little island, but with incredible produce. And, uh, you know, our cheese does rate up there in some of the, with, as some of the best in the world. Instantly, I saw a video of someone making vegan mozzarella. Mm-hmm. You heard of this vegan mozzarella? I didn't yeah. know, I couldn't work out what had gone into it. Was but... that school night vegan? Because uh, I... he's been making it on Instagram. He's amazing. How, what, does he, what does he make it from? Rubber? Does he melt down plastic or something? It's hard to think how you could make mozzarella without starting off with milk. But Yeah, I mean, there are nut milks, though, aren't there? So whether there's some kind of way of... Oh, that stuff, chickpea water, that magic stuff. Aquafaba. That's so funny, the things you can do with chickpea water. We do digress from British cheeses, don't we? But, I mean, that is mad stuff. I wondered if, you know, people make mayonnaise from it and mm. meringues and things. Mm. I wondered if, if, if it's actually, you could do the same with just water. Your actual water, you don't need the chickpea water at all, or whether there really is something in the it's chickpea. It's the protein that leaches yeah. out of the is chickpeas there, so it's much, that emulsifies though. in a similar way to egg white. Right. So oh. it's 
That's Thank you, Rosie. Oh, scientific and technical consultant there. Never been called that before, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, Tom, in the restaurant, are British cheeses popular on your cheese board? Do you do a cheese board that's specifically British or but, how do you handle it? Uh, no, we do. We do. We do. We work very hard. At the Hand of Flowers, we probably have about five or six cheeses and that's it on the cheese board. And then not, we, we have a hard, we have a soft, we have a goats, we have a blue, and then we have a, a, a special, a seasonal special of what it is. But sometimes that seasonal special will will change to it might be like i mentioned earlier a vashran when that is in season that is incredible and it's not british and you go right okay you know it's fine but the other ones we work really hard to try and find great british cheeses of a hard soft blue and a goat and you just try and make sure that and again that alters and that alters throughout the year because of the way that the seasons work and but yeah we always look for british first at carriages in the center of london our cheese board our cheese selection is a little bigger because it's um kind of presented in the room and it's a great big space so so we we do take cheeses from around the world but there i'd say we're 80 percent british in carriages as well so we're always looking for showcasing the best british produce that there is Good man. Now, I wondered where you both were on flavoured cheeses, because I know these are quite controversial. And we asked social media what they thought. And there was a lot of humming and hawing. Some people were ill on the spot. Other people said, oh, go on, what's wrong with it? Because you eat a bit of cheese with something anyway. So if it's been done for you. No, no. I think it's wrong. <laughs> I've I got to be honest, I can't think of a single unprocessed flavoured cheese. that's good. like... If, you, if you're singing about it as a brilliant product, you're looking at artisan cheesemakers who love, from, from the word go, the, the farm, the cattle, the, the way that it's been looked after, from the milk to the project, the way that it is produced, everything about it is about that raw milk produce being turned into cheese. The moment that you then start flavouring it with garlic or red peppers or whatever, it, it's, it becomes a secondary product. However, I do get why some people like them and if it's an introduction into people having it something on their cheese board at home at Christmas or something that gets people who don't normally like cheese into eating it I get it I, and I get I get it but it's not something that I would eat I have to be honest and I was I, like I mean you know if it was the only cheese there then I might but I, I gotta be honest it's not something I, I'm all about the person that's made it and where the milk product comes from and uh, rather than it actually being something that's got a load of fake smoked flavor into it or something that's a bit odd saying that I, I'm with you and um, I find those um, Wensleydales with like mango and ginger and strawberry and cranberry whatever they put in quite yeah. quite disgusting um and I wasn't really into smoked cheese either. And then I um, was judging some uh, the dairy ca- category for the Soil Association's Boom Awards recently. And I tried a smoked cheddar and it was unbelievably good. Yeah, but is that something that's had smoke flavour added to it? Or is that the cheddar that's then been cold Actu- smoked actually after? Actually oak smoked. Yeah, yeah. See, now that's different. And that's that was amazing. delicious. Yeah, yeah. So you've made a great cheese and then you've stuck it in a cold smoker. Yeah. I get that. You're adding a different thing to it. I, that, I'm 100% behind that. Love that. Yeah. And you can also wrap things in things to give them a, a bit of flavour. That's legitimate, isn't it? Like the French use um, what, uh, grape skins, I think. And I think yarg is wrapped Cornish in nettles, yarg is isn't it? In nettles, nettles, yeah, isn't wrapped it? in nettles. Which doesn't give it an obvious flavour, but it, it's got some kind of grassy quality to yeah, it. Definitely, it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, the, all of those sort of flavour, enhancement flavours from nature, I get, and I love that. that I think that's great. But... And wild garlic sometimes. Yes, is used to wrap, which yeah. is nice. So it's, we're all right on the outside, but we're a bit worried about little blobs of Christmas pudding floating about in the middle of the cheese and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind a bit of truffle though, in like a brie <laughs> style. 
I judged a, a cheese competition once and um, I was on the, I was given a couple of categories to be, to be judged. And one of them was flavoured cheddar and everyone pointed and laughed. And because we were the novice judges, we got this dreadful category to judge. And it did have bits of, like fruit cocktail flavoured cheese and um, alien, alien flavours. Marmite, of course. Some people like Marmite cheese. Now, oh, I'm getting nods from Rosie. Well, you, I'm not... You see, when we get down to it, people are a bit more biddable about this. I think Marmite and cheese is such an incredible combination. And it's, for me, it's childhood sandwiches. So, every, like, almost every day I'd have a, a, a cheese and Marmite or just pure Marmite and butter sandwich. And there is a chef called um, Robert Taylor who has the compasses in in uh, Crondale in Kent. Um, I know you're a fan of his cooking, Tom. He's amazing. He's a really incredible chef. And I went for a meal at his restaurant recently and he he had a uh, bread a bread selection of freshly baked bread that he'd made and the butters came out. And one of the um, one of the things on the plate with the butters was a mascarpone, so a cream cheese that had been blended with Marmite, just very, very subtly, and it was so delicious. So he'd actually mixed the Marmite into the mascarpone and made a kind of Marmite-flavoured soft cheese, and it was unbelievably good with the bread. How clever. Just a hint of Marmite. You know we're meant to love or hate Marmite. Could I declare myself at this point as someone who's kind of, it's fine, but... You know, I'm I'm in the in the middle. How you on Tom on Marmite? I'm st- like I oh I'm all, I'm like you. I'm like I'm all right with it. It's quite it's quite nice. I wouldn't it wouldn't be my first choice for spreading on top of a piece of toast. Yeah. But if I went round someone's house late at night and that was the only snack they had, it I go delicious. Thank you very much. I'll have it. However, I would probably turn down a packet of Twiglets. That's the thing. I'm not I'm not all over them. Like I got to be honest with that kind of extra Marmitey flavor. I'm not so. Yeah, so I, I'm 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 in the middle like you. I'm like, yeah, I'll go with that. I mean, it's useful. It can be useful. I have it in my kitchen. I use it to uh, if you're glazing the top of a, a pie or a, t- a tart, yeah. savory, obviously. In in the egg, you mix, you mix a little bit of it marmite. Is, it's it's a makes, very good gives seasoning. Gives a really nice that, color and flavor. That's how I use it. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I love it spread thickly on toast or anything like that. Any kind of thick amount of marmite is actually quite disgusting. But a hot buttered piece of toast with just a a smear, a real lick of marmite just sinking into the butter is really, really delicious. We've detonated we have digressed. Their, their advertising campaign. We've wrecked though about love it or hate it, haven't we? Because we all quite like it, but quite like it. not that, not, not that bothered. Yeah, it's all right. It's quite nice. <laughs> marmite. Yeah, it's all right. Now, while we're on strong flavors, <laughs> quite nice actually. <laughs> while we're on strong flavors, can we talk about Stilton? Yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, right, great. I'm yeah. a fan of Stilton. I think I prefer I prefer a creamier blue cheese, just texturally wise. I'm I'm, but flavour wise, of Stilton, I think is fantastic. Is it a bit but, crumbly? Yeah, it's a bit crumbly. Right. Like but it wouldn't be my first choice of having a slice of it. I love it, but I go if there's one blue cheese out there, I go I know something a bit softer, like a good cashew blue. Or Have something you had like Stilton? No, what Stickleton, on earth is that? You have to have this. It's an incredible cheese. Again, I know we were talking about Neil's Yard and what they've been doing for British cheese, but it is one of the cheeses that they kind of had a hand in developing. It's made by a cheesemaker called Joe Schneider in Not- Nottinghamshire, and it's a Stilton-style cheese made with raw milk. 
and it's incredibly creamy, really complex. It's got all the there kind you go. Of sold. I'll have it. I just know, I'll have that without even trying it. Yes, please. It's really, really <laughs> delicious. You need that on your cheese board. Yeah, I, I, and, not my, I need it now. I need, <laughs> I I'm not just something. giving it to customers. I just I'll have it at home. Thanks, mate. <laughs> and do you cook with blue cheese a lot? Yeah, you? I like blue cheese a lot. Yeah, we use it. We use it for lots of different things. The blue cheese. Uh, it's a, one of the it's one of those things that has a defining characteristic, but then on top of that, there's underlying um, there's a saltiness that comes with it. It's great for seasoning. It's great for power. It's great for flavour. And you look at you know you can go through to Roquefort. I mean, if you look at Roquefort, I mean that's one of the strongest cheeses around. Where, it, where it's almost got like a, this kind of film of like salty, greasy big punchy flavor that comes with it the moment that you blend that with something or add that into something those big dark flavors it doesn't become about cheese anymore it becomes about a counterbalance of strength acidity salt so yeah i I use blue cheese a lot in terms of a cooking as a balance and flavors yeah really adds impact doesn't it huge yeah but not just for the sake of going it's a blue cheese it's actually what the dimensions of what those flavors bring that's what i always look at with with cheeses like that I think it's got a sweetness to it as well. Um, can have. Yeah, fruitiness yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I made something with cheese last week and it, it, was, a, it was a recipe actually, the, a, a printed recipe, and it had a tablespoon of vinegar in it as well. And when I tasted it, I said, this tastes like blue cheese, but it wasn't blue cheese. And it was the vinegar that was giving a blue cheese kind of atmos to the dish, which was a bit of a surprise. because you. And I think it must be the sweetness and maybe the aroma. I don't know why that happened. But again, the acidity. Like, yeah, yeah. It's acidity is big, yeah. punchy flavours that the blue cheese gives away. That gives off, you know, it's it's huge. It's always it's normally that and goes. You know, when you go to posh restaurants, not not like mine, obviously, but you know, you go there <laughs> where they, you get that cheese board, and then you're given when you have it on your plate, and you have the your little slices, and the the, the waiter tells you to go one way around the plate because it starts off with mm. a milder one, and you don't want to end up with the strongest one first because then you won't be able to taste the ones at the back. Yeah. You know, so you go blue cheese is normally the last one that you eat when the way. Because it is the one with the biggest punch, the biggest flavour. That if you if you start with that, you won't yeah. be able to taste anything else. Yeah. And it's quite hard to find something to drink with it. I mean, traditionally they give they serve port with with Stilton, don't they? Because it needs something uber powerful to kind of handle those flavours, doesn't it? Yeah. But, uh, the other good thing that a lot of places look at, ourselves included, sherries are very good with it because mm. of where they're oak-aged, that oak-aging process, the, the flavours that sherries take on, and I don't mean like the cheap, cheapy sherries, I mean like really nice, lovely ones that have been aged for a long time. They go so well they're with They're so cheese. woody, aren't they? Exactly. They're really they, they woody. They work really yeah. well with it. And ciders, like Rosie was talking earlier, like ciders and, and beers as well can go with it. I mean, it is so complex, cheeses. There's a lot of things to drink with it. Not lilt, though. Lilt's not good with cheese. <laughs> what about Tizer? Tizer? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Still to come on BBC Good Foods podcast with Tom Kerridge. Exactly yeah. that. So yeah. a great big doorstep wedge of toast is replaced by a lovely roasted bit of cauliflower that works so well. Now, some people eat their cauliflower quite raw, I find, but I must be old-fashioned because I quite like it well-cooked. So I... Well, you might be in trouble here then because well... it's a bit chunky. And... <laughs> now, one of the amazing things about cheese is, like, like chocolate, that it's got this thing that happens when you melt it i mean in chocolate it melts in your mouth when you eat it but with with cheese it melts into dishes which gives which gives you all sorts of thrilling possibilities in the kitchen of doing things with it um are there any favorite things that you like to cook with cheese apart from things we've already mentioned i mean 
I mean, cheese is amazing in any kind of tart or quiche. And it kind of holds the whole thing together, really, doesn't it? It wouldn't yeah. be a tart or quiche without the cheese, really, would it? It's a great way of using up any odds and sods of cheese that you might have in your fridge as well. If you've got, you know, something that maybe wouldn't be so nice to actually eat because maybe it's going a bit hard or whatever, melting it into a, a tart with some veg is really good. Yeah. And souffles, how are we on souffles? Twice baked cheese souffles, one of the first things I learned to make. I mean, it was one of the dishes that, that, you know, as a chef that started in the kitchen in, you know, around about 1990, 91, like twice baked cheese souffles, I mean, come from based on the Gavroche recipes that you just go, right, this is amazing. It's beautiful. You bake them once, they kind of collapse and then you put them through the oven again for service and they puff up and they're delicious. And they're just big, again, big, strong, cheesy flavours, but it, it, they're fantastic. I love a cheese souffle. They sound to the novice twice baked souffles like that's going to be not just I've just got to make a souffle then I've got to twice do the whole thing but really it's rather practical just to explain how it happens because it is ultra reliable isn't it? Well I mean essentially you're making a thick white sauce with cheese in like that's the base so you know you make your white sauce you know with with your flour and your butter and your milk and you bring it up to the boil and you cook it out like you're making a standard one then you throw in all your cheese that you're going to make and then you cook it out for a bit until it's really thick you leave it to go cold and then out of that sauce you then whisk up your egg whites and you mix the two together put them into your buttered and breadcrumb souffle mold and bake them in a bain-marie so they puff up to a nice souffle and you've got to cook them enough so that they actually cook all the way through so that they're set just yeah, set yeah yeah take them out of the oven and leave them to cool and it, it is actually really quite easy you leave them to cool turn them out of the souffle and mold. they go down don't they, they? Do, they collapse. So don't you be know, alarmed no, don't be alarmed anyone you're waiting <laughs> them for it to look like a punctured football that's exactly what you want right? <laughs> they collapse and then you turn them out and when they're cold that's fine you keep them in the fridge like that then you take you put them onto a baking tray lined with baking parchment no no ramekin no nothing just the collapsed punctured football upside down <laughs> upside, upside down upside down, upside down, upside down is the best way and then you put them back into a high, high temperature oven about 220 and you bake them for about 5 to 8 minutes and they rise up again they weren't, they're not perfect shape they don't, but what they do is they puff up again a little bit and then they start to brown and they crisp up and you've mm. got this amazing brilliant souffle that's dead easy to do serve it on the table it's fantastic and they're much better than an actual souffle, I think, because an actual souffle tends to be caustically hot in the middle. By the time you, you, you get your fork into it, you can't really touch it for a few seconds, whereas this doesn't seem to be so damagingly hot. No, and it, it's, it's and such it's a, a delicious nice dish. Too. It's a savoury. It's a savoury souffle and it tastes great. It's a real good starter. Or you could do one big one and serve it as a, like as a main course. Oh, I've I mean, never be... done that. My, my mum's really into twice-baked cheese souffle. She does them quite often for her lunches, for her friends, and, and it's great because you're taking the jeopardy out of the whole rising and being oh, perfect Oh, I like thing. the jeopardy free lunch party. Yeah, and you can make them ahead. <laughs> so you make them ahead and then you just heat it up in the oven like you say. Yeah. Do, you, do you know, we better have something to eat. Because we have this great recipe on Good Food, this great Tom recipe for cauliflower rabbits. And yes. this is the best of many worlds coming together here because it's a, a cauliflower steak, you'd call it, I think, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, like cauliflower has become quite... Where people are looking for meat-free Mondays and vegetarian dishes and, and, and vegetables being about, one of, you know, the big thing that everybody kind of is looking for, you know, how to make more of vegetables and let them sing for themselves. Cauliflower has come through as one of those great things. It's, it's a luscious flavour. It works so well with cheese, like everybody knows. So it's like a big chunk of cauliflower that you cut through the middle and you roast and then you make a rare bit, but you make a rare bit mix. And this is dead easy to make. 
very similar to making the souffle base. You you kind of cook out um, flour and butter and a bit of milk, and then you melt the cheese into it, add in a couple of egg yolks, and you take it off the heat and leave it to cool. And then you can kind of like shape it and roll it. And it's kind of shaped and goes on top of the cauliflower and then baked. So please dive in. We've got, can you hear the jingling of actual knives and forks? Here you go, Rosie. It looks, Thank you. looks very good. Um, so we the, the, cut you a piece? That would be that would be fantastic. So the cauliflower is really taking the place of the uh, the of the toast in yeah. a sec, in, yeah, a, in cauliflower- a way. Exactly yeah. that. So yeah. a great big doorstep wedge of toast is replaced by a lovely roasted bit of cauliflower that works so well. Now some people eat their cauliflower quite raw, I find, but I must be old fashioned because I quite like it well cooked. So I well, you might be in trouble here then because well, it's a bit chunky. And- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think that what I would be inclined to do is actually um, uh, simmer the cauliflower till it's tender. That would, that's the solution. But, for, college, for cauliflower but, cheese? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, Rosie, you're much younger than I am, so you probably like your vegetables no, very crunchy, thank do you. you? Actually, um, thank you, Chef. Actually, I'm with you on cooking vegetables um, until they're tender. And I do a cauliflower cheese where I roast a whole cauliflower in the oven, a bit like what Tom's saying, roast it until it's nice and tender and then make a cheese sauce um, and pour that over and then roast it again with that on. And, and then it, it, it goes fully tender by roasting, doesn't yeah. it? Cauliflower, if you leave it in there yeah, long enough. How, ro- long, how long does that take? I don't know, 20, 25, 30 minutes in a hot oven yeah. for the first roast and then you pour the cheese sauce on and then bake it again. I'm very relieved to hear that because I remember the days when when they were trying to discourage us from overcooking vegetables and the vegetables were really, really crunchy and they didn't taste of anything. They sure you heard them when you ate them, but they didn't taste. There is a kind of, to use that current phrase, a sweet spot with a vegetable where it actually tastes of something and is still not overcooked. You must be aiming for that the whole time, are you, Tom? Or, or have you yeah, got... although I'm, it really depends on the dish. I have to be honest, vegetables are something like this where this is just perfect. So you've got the crunch and the core in the middle and the softer bit on the outside. But when you look at building dishes as complete things, you're also looking for texture. So sometimes crunchy vegetables, undercooked vegetables are perfect for something because they highlight other things of dish. So it's, some, it's a little bit more complex when I think you're, you're looking at um, complete dish building but most of the time for vegetables if they're singing on their own yeah they've got to be cooked all the way through they've got to be cooked all the way through but i love like um a crunchy pickled cauliflower with say a roasted cauliflower with maybe a shaved bit of cauliflower cauliflower three ways different textures Mm. yeah rawness pickled softness things that are just salted so that so that i mean when you just salt things what that does is it softens them but it's still they still have a raw texture it's quite a weird thing that goes on so all of those kind of processes it's just is there's a little bit more to it but uh, yeah i'm vegetables should be allowed to be what they are however i I do think that all vegetables from now on should be served with cheese toppings that is so delicious (laughs) It's perfect for me because it's kind of juicy, the cauliflower. So it's and not, it's sweet. So yeah, you've got the yeah, sweetness so got of the, the cauliflower with that lovely, salty, rich cheese sauce. That is so, so good. You mentioned that triple cauliflower thing, Rosie. I think for the home cook, that approach is really quite difficult because you're expecting to make three different things for one plate. But yeah, but maybe you've made a jar of pickled um, cauliflower and you have that in the fridge so you could if you were doing say a roasted cauliflower dish or a or a, or a boiled cauliflower dish you could throw some of the stuff that you'd already pickled in there as well for a bit for a bit of different texture and flavor yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about vegetables some other happy time, and maybe we can talk about pickling cauliflower. Um, but thank you very much indeed. I, I hope you've enjoyed uh, talking about British cheese. I've got lots of new ideas for it. Um, and uh, I'll be the first thing I'll be doing when I get home is assembling a British cheese board to celebrate all this lovely stuff. Definitely. <laughs> thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's show. You'll find the recipe and thousands more on bbcgoodfood.com. If you have a minute, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at BBC Good Food.